Praise the Lord. How's everybody doing? Good? We're running about 15 minutes behind normal schedule, so if you are in a rush tonight, uh, I will not be offended if you get up and leave, um, but uh, I think it's better that you just stay anyway, but uh, hopefully tomorrow's not a school day, right? Tomorrow's not a school day. We're off, right? It's a party. Cartoons in the morning, right? That's it. Well, praise the Lord. I'll, I'll try try to be brief, but I can't promise you anything because I'd be lying if I told you I was going to be really quick. So I'm not going to do that to you. So if we could open up to Isaiah chapter 48. Once again, we want to welcome everyone that's on live stream, uh, whether it be Facebook, YouTube. We're so blessed that you join us tonight, and I hope the Lord ministers to you, even through the internet. Amen. Isaiah chapter 48, we will start with verse 1. We will read through chapter, uh, verse 11, not chapter 11. We'll be here for a while. Hear this, O house of Jacob who are called by the name of Israel, and come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. I want to stop real quick before I go any further. Here he is, the prophet Isaiah. He's, he's, he's prophesying to the house of Jacob, who is now called the name of Israel. We know that Jacob was, uh, Jacob wrestled with God. We know that his name means supplanter. His name meant deceiver. Uh, we, his name meant heel grabber. Uh, and the Lord changed his name to Israel. And that name Israel means a couple of things. It means contends with God. And this is very, very important. Uh, and it also means governed by God. And it's so significant in that portion of Scripture because God is speaking to J the house of Jacob. And he says, listen, you, you, you used to, your name used to be Jacob, but I began to call you Israel. But he goes, he goes on to basically to say, listen, you're not living up to your new name. He says, he says at the end of that verse, he says, but not in truth or in righteousness. So even though that Jacob's name was changed from deceiver to governed by God or one that contends with God, the prophet is saying, listen, Israel, you're not living up to your name. How many people know people who call themselves Christians and probably are Christians by title but not live up to their name? How many people... Uh, could say that there are, there are parents that are fathers that don't live up to that name, or there are mothers who don't live up to, to that name of being a mother. It's very common that, that we're supposed to be doing or being someone or acting a certain way, and we find ourselves falling short from that. And we can see in this portion of Scripture that God is correcting the house of Jacob, and he's saying, listen, your name was Jacob, and I changed it to Israel, but you're still acting like Jacob. How many people know that when God begins to do something in our life, there will be a change 
in our life. Not everything changes overnight. I mean, positionally, when we are saved and born again, we are sanctified, we are positioned in high places, and we are no longer who we used to be, and we are no longer going to the place that we were going. We are going to a, 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 a place called heaven. Amen? But some of the things in our life don't change right away. Sometimes the process of sanctification or getting cleaned up takes a little while. But how many people know that things do begin to change? And as, as more time and time goes on, we are to bear much fruit in, in our life. That if we're exactly the same way we are the first day that we gave our life to the Lord, then maybe we never really gave our life to the Lord. Because there has to be some kind of change that goes on. As we walk with the Lord. And God was addressing that with the nation of Israel, with the house of Jacob. He was saying, listen, you're no longer called the same, but you're acting the same. And he goes on to speak on that when he says, For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel, for the Lord of hosts is his name. And then he goes on to say, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went out from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. So what he's saying, listen, I've proved myself to be God. I've said things that were to happen. And I prophesied things that were to be and they came to pass. So he's saying, listen, I've done my part. I, God, have done my part, but you have not done your part. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew. And your brow was bronze. Basically, he's saying, listen, you're hard-headed. How many people can say they're a little hard-headed? Or maybe the person sitting next to you is hard-headed. Just tell them. Tell the person next to you you're hard-headed. I hope that's not your wife because you'll be in trouble. Even from the beginning, I declared to you before it came to pass. I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my carved images and my molded images have commanded them. He's, once again, God is pro- proving through the, the prophet Isaiah that, listen, I, I told you that things, these things were going to happen so that you couldn't look to false gods or false idols and say that it was not me. I told you that they were going to happen because God was proving himself to his people. It's great when you first come into right relationship with Lord and the Lord begins to woo you and he begins to prove himself and show himself to you. Have you have any of you ever walked through that season, that honeymoon season with the Lord where it just seems like God is speaking to you so vibrantly and he's showing himself so real to you and he's he's developing this relationship with you and he's proving himself to you and then as you go and you walk a little bit, sometimes he brings you through different seasons, maybe seasons where he seems quiet or you go through wilderness seasons or you or you go through certain seasons but because you know his reputation and because you've walked with him and you've seen his faithfulness, you're able to depend on him even in those quiet times. Because God loves to prove himself to his people. You have heard, verse 6, see all this and I will not declare it. I have made you hear new things from time, even hidden things that you did not know. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day you have not heard them, lest you should say, of course, I knew them. 
Surely you did not hear them. Surely you did not know them. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would not, you would deal very treacherously. He's once going back, uh, going back to that hard-headed. He's saying, listen, I showed you things. I told you things that you did not know. But I knew that you would not listen. And you were called a transgressor from the womb. For my namesake, I will defer my anger. And from, for my praise, I will strain, restrain it from you so that I will not cut you off. How many people know that God is merciful? And even know that from our womb we were sinful. And even though we've, we've made decisions against him and we've chosen uh, false idols in our life and we've chosen to do things that were contrary to his word, he has mercy on us. And he goes on in verse 10, and this is really where my message comes from. It says, it's, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I'm going to repeat that. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. The title of my message is, Why Are You Surprised? Why Are You Surprised? Let's pray. Father, it is in the name of Jesus we come to you tonight, Lord. We are so grateful for your presence and your anointing and your glory that rests in this place, Father. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that anything that would, would distract me or, 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 or get in the way of me declaring your word and preaching your glorious gospel, Lord, that you would take your strong right hand against it, Lord. Father, I pray for our hearts, Lord, as we receive your word, that we would be soft and pliable to you, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, Lord, and that what we hear today will go and bear much fruit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? The prophet Isaiah declares to Israel that they're not living up to what they should be. He goes on to speak of how he has proven himself time and time again. And he says, and, 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 and through the prophet he declares that Israel is hard-headed. You know, when you read the Bible and you see how God deals with Israel, I mean, you get to the place where you, you just read it and you're like, man, Israel's at it again, the same old thing, the same old thing. But if you ever look at our own lives and you ever look at mankind, we're really not very much different. Not at all. And sometimes it's easier to read about somebody else and look at somebody else's faults and look at somebody else's struggles and problems and we can point fingers and say, well, at least I'm not like them. But chances are, most of us, we're really a lot alike. But you see, God is calling Israel deeper. And he's calling us deeper. And I believe that there is a new generation of believers in America rising up. Where blessing and prosperity have clouded our view to our commitment to Christ. God is calling his people to, to a deeper place. We can look out, look on social media and look at what's going on in our world, in our government. I, as a 45-year-old man, have never seen 
uh, what's going on in Washington and what's going on in the streets and what's going on in the world so in the forefront of everybody's conversations in mind. Everything is, it just seems to be in utter chaos. We're, we've never seen division in our country that, I, that I've lived through like we're seeing right now. We've never seen the, uh, uh, such a difference and such a disrespect for, for faith and for, for church and for, for, for the people of God like we've seen now. There was a time in our nation where, where, where men and women of God were still, were still revered, where, where church was still considered a holy place. And we're coming to a place in our nation where, where not even the church is being taken serious anymore. That, that evil is so uh, up in, up in, out in the open and in our face. They're just, uh, evil is just flashing and flaunting itself with no respect for even the church or for the people of God. And I think that for years, maybe the church and, and, and people have been so caught up in, in, in blessing and prosperity and, and, and the, good, the good times that we're having that we've never really thought about that we had to dig our heels in like we have to now. And I believe that many people are, are, are walking away from faith or walking away from the organized church but I also believe that God is calling a people to a deeper, deeper relationship. Uh, I believe that God is calling his children. I believe that God is calling a reverent, uh, a remnant of people to a, 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 the greatest committed uh, people of Christ that this world has ever seen. I believe God is going to have his, his voice heard. And I believe that even young people are going to rise up. And we're going to see the pendulum swing the other way where, where, where there was a time in our world where, where, where and there is a time in our world where, where people are chasing after evil and they're saying what's good is evil and what's evil is good. But I believe that there's a remnant and that there's a people of God that are rising up in spirit and truth to declare the goodness and the works of our God. It often, it often happens in times of persecution and in times of trouble. Remember, the early church was always in trouble. There was no time that the first century church was at a time of peace. If you look at every one of the disciples, that every one of them were martyred and killed. Every one of them. And we have not come to that place in our great nation. And Lord willing, we will not. Uh, we won't. But the reality is, is we are going to learn how, how to learn to be the people of God differently than we've been living over recent years if we really want to make a difference in this world. We have to uh, change and, and not depend on, uh, on the same ways of evangelism or, or depend just on social media or depend, depend on uh, the airwaves to get the word out because what if that is taken from us? Which means we have to dig our heels in, actually learn this word, learn and know what we believe and go out into the highways and byways of this world and each community 
and show the love of God and preach the word of God, the unadulterated word of God, not a watered-down word of God that says what the word says is wrong is right because I am here to tell you that regardless of what the world tells me is right or wrong, I will still base right or wrong on what the word of God says. And what the word of God says is sin is sin. And what the word of God says is righteousness is righteousness. And there's not no agenda, no group of people, or no mob that is going to change that in this house. But we have to dig our heels in. Bring you to my first point, and I will move quickly. Don't be surprised when we face afflictions. The word affliction is to be caused pain or suffering. I love it when people say that, you know, God, God wouldn't let that happen. Or that's not going to happen because, you know, uh, we did the right thing or something. How many people know that God allows affliction? God allows affliction. These are the kind of things that we need to be taught. Because if you're not taught these things, you think when you face hard times or struggles that you've either done something wrong, and you may have, but you may not have, or that you're missing it somewhere, or, or maybe even worse, that God isn't real or, or this whole thing is a sham. If you build your faith on God, on good times and prosperity and blessing and, and, and favor, you're going to be rudely surprised. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that God doesn't favor, and I'm not saying that God doesn't bless, and I'm not saying that God doesn't prosper because he does. But I am here to tell you that God allows affliction too. When God afflicts us, though, it's for our own good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord d- disciplines those that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That's why David was able to say it was good that I was afflicted so that I would learn your statutes in Psalms 119.71. He said it was good that I was afflicted. But yet I've heard people say, oh, God won't let that happen. There's a lot of bad things happening right now as we speak that God is allowing. I'm not saying that he supports it. I'm not saying that he wants it. I'm not saying that he purposes it. But we are a fallen man. And there is evil in this world. And there are things happening that are not right. As we speak, as we speak right now, children are being abused. As we speak... There's slavery going on all around this world, and yes, still in this nation. People are being mistreated. Good people. Some even God-fearing people. But people are being afflicted. 
But David said, it was good that I was afflicted. See, pain and suffering has a way of bringing us to a place of brokenness. And brokenness is a fertile, gra- is all fertile ground for growth. God will often allow affliction in our life to reveal our weakness. And he reveals our weakness not so we can fail, but so we can confront our weaknesses and overcome them once and for all. Why did David learn? What did David learn in his affliction? We know that David was rejected from his family, from his father, so much so that he was sent out into the sheep pasture. And when when Samuel came to anoint a king, that they didn't even think that it would be David because David is just this little runty guy and he's just not going to be anybody and he's just whatever. And he was rejected and thrown out into the sheep pasture. And we often say, oh, poor David, when you hear that, that's just so not right. It's wrong. He was mistreated. And his mistreatment goes further than that. We'll talk about that in a second. But did you ever think that maybe it was his rejection? Maybe it was his affliction? Maybe his family just pushing him away is what allowed him to to have a soft, broken heart for him to get close to the Lord? How many of you can say, man, I've been afflicted. Many of us would say, you know, why'd I have to be a drug addict? Why'd I have to be an alcoholic? Why'd I have to be this? Why'd, why'd my father have to leave when I was a little boy? Those, those aren't good things. Those are hurtful things and painful things and hard, hard things. But yet in the midst of it all, if we look, take inventory of those moments and those struggles, sometimes those were the greatest moments with the Lord. And if we wouldn't have had some of those moments, and I'm not talking about the things I spoke about earlier, about the abuse and all of those the, those kind of things. I'm just sh- showing you that good people suffer, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And that stuff's extreme. But just some of the, 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 the regular stuff that mankind and most of us, the average person, suffer through. Because we all suffer through things. I mean, it's easy to look at somebody else and say, oh, they came from a great family, and oh, they got money, or they got this, or they're this color, or that, and say, oh, life must have just been peachy, wonderful. But if you spend any time talking to them, you'll see that they have hurt too. And hurt is hurt regardless of how it comes, or what kind of pants or shirts, or what kind of car you drive. Hurt is hurt. Hurt is hurt. But sometimes it's in those moments of affliction, some, sometimes it's in those hard, broken moments that God is able to minister and speak to our hearts in a way that he wouldn't have been able to if he didn't have our attention in that brokenness. Maybe it was the cave that taught David how to be a leader of a man. He was exiled and pushed out and had to run away and go live in a cave, running away from Saul. He was in the palace, called to be the king, anointed, but he found himself in a cave, afflicted. And he could have sat there and said, poor me, and I'm the victim and all this. But instead, he raised up some mighty men of valor. 
And maybe it was in that cave with those, the Bible says that they, they were all broken people and people that were in exile and people that were rejected that came to him. And maybe it was in that moment dealing with a broken people and dealing with people that were, were rejected just like him is where he, he developed a softness and a heart to be able to lead God's people. So maybe it was God's plan all after all for, for David to be afflicted like that. Because God knew what he had for David moving forward. And he knew that if he didn't bring him to a place of, of, of affliction or a place of trouble or a place of hardship, he might have not been fit for what God had in front of him. Maybe Saul's betrayal taught him to trust the plan of God instead of the plan of man because it looked like it looked like that David would never be the king. He was betrayed by Saul. Even had him in his grasp where he could have killed him, but he didn't. Because he was more concerned about honoring God than taking what really was rightfully his. But maybe it was in that moment that he learned that, listen, no matter what man has planned against me, no matter what people try to say about me, no matter what people try to thwart my plan, the plan of God, God will always have the final say in my life. And David probably learned that in that moment. And although he was afflicted and although it, it couldn't have been a good time and, and I'm sure that he wished it was different and I'm sure he would have rather went straight to the, to the throne instead of living in a cave and being hunted down by somebody that he served faithfully. But maybe it was in that moment he knew no matter what I do, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, if God's got a purpose for my life and God has a plan for my life, no man can stop it. And it was in his affliction that he learned that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 says, Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, I used to look at that totally like it was be watchful of all things. That's one thing. Endure afflictions, that was another thing. And do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But, but I've seen that totally different today. Because listen, Enduring afflictions. Now, this is Paul saying this to Timothy, who we know he's a young pastor, a young, a young, a young minister. He's a, he's a gifted evangelist. And, and Paul tells him to endure afflictions and do the work of evangelists. What is he saying? By enduring afflictions, you are doing the work of an evangelist. It's called your testimony. And not everybody gets up here to speak and has a microphone and gets to shout on YouTube and Facebook Live and all this stuff. But everybody has an afflict. Everybody has a platform, and it's called your life, and it's your testimony, and it's your walk, and it's more powerful than anybody that stands behind a podium and tells a story. I'm here to tell you that that when you endure afflictions. When you go through what life has given you and you, you keep your head high and you keep your faith in God and you keep on trusting him, you are doing the work of an evangelist. Because trust me when I tell you, people are watching everything that happens to you when you claim the name of Jesus and you claim to have this faith in God and you, you, you claim to have this God that sees you through. When you endure afflictions, you're an evangelist. Before you ever preach.
I've shared this quote before, and I love it, from A.W. Tozer. He says, it is doubtful that God will ever use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful, from A.W. Tozer, that God will ever use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's good that you've been afflicted. It's good that you've struggled. It's good. Obviously, if you're sitting in this room, God has taken you through. And he's brought you to this moment. Don't be surprised when you're afflicted. My second point, do not be surprised when you are tested because you need to be tested. The word tested is to take measure, to check quality, performance, or reliability of something. I love this. Especially before widespread use or practice. God tests us to check our quality, our performance, our reliability, especially before widespread use. For those of you that want to be used by God, for those of you that want to do God's will, know this, you will be tested. You will be tested. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. Now, remember, God led you all this way 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. So God led you to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God wants to know what's in our heart. But it is as important that we know what's in our own heart. God wants to know what's in your heart. But doesn't God already know that? But God wants us to know what's in our heart. I remember coming out of the ministry of Teen Challenge, I really felt the call of God in my life to minister and and to stay with the ministry. And I had some people that supported the decision, some people that did not. Um, I had a, a person in my family that, 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 that I really loved and really respected. And uh, after I'd gotten to about closing in on my first year of internship, I really felt like the Lord uh, was, was putting on my heart to stay. Uh, right after that, I, had, I signed, a, I think, a three-year commitment. I did one year, and then I, was gonna, I did a three, and then I did two fives. So, which, yeah. so I did a three, uh, a three-piece. Uh, and I wanted to get a car. Uh, for those of you that don't know, while I was in the program, I have uh, I had a, a son. His name is Dominic, and he was born. Uh, once I, I got in the ministry, it was just weeks after, a uh, couple weeks after I got in the ministry that I found out that uh, that I, I was going to have a, a son. So I have a, a tw- uh, he's going to be 12, 12-year-old son. And uh, I wanted to get a car. And as many of you might not know, which you'll know after I tell you, you don't make a lot of money working for Teen Challenge. So getting a car was something that just wasn't easy for me to do on what I was making. 
So I, I, I called somebody in my family who had helped me before. And I says, listen, you know, I want to be able to go back and forth every weekend and see my son. And uh, I, I need help. And, um, but I feel called into the ministry. And I don't want to leave and do something else because I feel like God has me here. But I know it's also his will and, and, and his purpose for me to have a strong relationship with my son. So, so uh, you know, I was told, listen, if you leave the ministry, I'll not only get you a car, uh, I'll, get, I'll give you an apartment, I'll give you a job. And, and he was, a, was able to do that. And uh, he said, but, you know, you've been there a year. You've already given a year of your life back to the ministry. You know, they're not paying you a lot. You really, you really just need to do something different. And I said, uh, and I said, uh, I says, well, I don't feel like the Lord's leading me that way. I says, I, and I, I think I need to stay. And this is what God's called me to do. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I can't help you. And I says, listen. And, this is, and these are the words I said. I said, it's okay. Because I knew he wasn't my source. I said, listen, I promise this will never interfere with my relationship with you, that I'm not going to have hard feelings about this. And I, I didn't, and I haven't. I said, uh, because God's my source, and he's called me into the ministry. And if he's called me, he's going to provide for me, so it's okay. And I got off the phone, and, of course, there was no dis disrupt disturbance in our relationship, still have a relationship now, obviously. He looks at it differently. But I said that. God knew what was in my heart. But I had to know what was in my heart. I had to be tested. And I had to know, man, this call, this thing is real. Because those things meant nothing to me compared to him and doing his will. So know this, you will be tested. You will be tested. James 1, 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, men, women, testing is the only thing that will make you perfect and complete. You will be tested. You will have afflictions, and you will be tested. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? But it is. It is. Because if you're not able to dig your heels in during those times, then how deep is our commitment? How deep is our commitment? If it was all blessing and prosperity and great times and good days and everything just going exactly the way we want it, what kind of commitment does that take? What kind of love does that take? And where do you see that in the word when you look at the men and the women that have gone before us? That's not what Scripture shows. Scripture shows men being imprisoned and shipwrecked and martyred, and left for dead, thrown in jail, lied on. That's what Scripture shows. I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to get you to the place that, sh that you dig your heels in. 
And that you don't let the little waves of life and the testings of life and the afflictions of life take you away from what you believe is true. And I also don't want you to think that if you face some of these things, it means you're doing the wrong thing or that you're an illegitimate child. Because the word I read says that he disciplines those that he childs, that, 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 that he loves. And he also tests his children. My last point. We must be refined. And the first two points do just that. We must be refined. The word refined means with impurities or unwanted elements being removed by process. Impurities or unwanted elements being removed by process. You're in a process. You're being refined. The word refined, it also means purified or cleansed. They all mean the same thing. God wants to purify us, and the worship team can come up. He wants to cleanse us. And he goes back to the text in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. It says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. These are God's chosen people the prophet is talking to. He's not talking to strangers. He's not talking to people that, 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 that bow and worship other gods. He's talking to his people, the nation of Israel, and he's telling them, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So why would we be surprised when we face difficulties? Why should we be surprised when we look on the news and we look all around the world and we see trouble? Didn't Jesus say you will have trouble in this world? Didn't he prepare us that things were coming, that hard times were coming? Didn't he say that? Isn't the scriptures full of examples of men and women that faced affliction and testing? And the ones that were counted in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 are the ones that endured. Some of them didn't even receive the promise, but they endured. And they kept on pressing forward. Lennon Ravenhill says the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today's church is married to prosperity, personality, and prosperity. Popularity. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today's church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Personality and popularity. I keep messing up. Are you still going to be married to the Lord if you face poverty? Are you still going to be married to the Lord if you face prison? Are you still going to be married to the Lord if you face persecutions? Is our commitment only connected to prosperity popularity are we going to dig our heels in 
Are we going to say, Lord, we trust you with our needs? We trust you with our lives. I don't need a handout from somebody else because somebody else is not my source. You're my source, Lord. There are some good things about social media. This is something I saw. It says Christianity is not knowing cute Hillsong lyrics, having a Bible verse in your IG bio, following the world and chasing worldly possessions, following Jesus only when you feel like it, being holy during Lent or Holy Week, and back to your dirty ways after Good Friday. But Christianity is denying yourself and dying to yourself. Being doers of the word, not just hearers. Living for God 24-7, worshiping him no matter how hard life gets. Pleasing Jesus rather than pleasing people, even if it costs you the relationships. Being so different from the world that you're considered an alien. Following the word of God and not man-made traditions. To not be ashamed of Jesus in front of your friends your family, at work, or school, or wherever you go. That's Christianity. Are you ready to dig your heels in? Are you ready to dig your heels in? And here's the great thing, and as I close with this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to go home. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through seven says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we which received ourselves. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for the consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, you will also be partakers of his consolation.